Welcome to LifeBridge Online. We are grateful that you have tuned in to us once again and that you are allowing us to come into your home, into your world, and be part of, of your life. Uh, this is still some, some unprecedented times as um, there is no normal right now. And, and what is normal is that there is no normal. And so we know and understand that, man, many people uh, have have uh, stayed away. They wanted to self-isolate and then they started to come back and, and, and now people are, are moving back into their homes and, and we respect that. We are just grateful that you are allowing us to be part of your life. And if there's anything, as you quarantine or as you self-isolate, if there's anything that uh, we can do as a church, as a ministry to help you out, to be part of your world, to minister to you and your family further, hey, let us know. Let your life group leaders know. And we will do everything that we can uh, to, to meet those needs. I, I do want to share a couple of things with you before we get into our, our teaching today. Uh, on December 27th, speaking of self-isolating and staying home, we, we are going to only offer online worship that day. Uh, that's a day that many people are traveling already. It's a, it's a day where I myself am going to be traveling. I'll be on vacation that week. And we just wanted to have a simple prayer and communion service. We're going to have a worship celebration. And so we're going to just offer that online. And we're going to be sending home the communion packets to make sure that everybody has uh, the communion supplies needed to participate. And we're going to ask you, the church, to, to tune in at the regular time together and for all of us just to, to take a few minutes and celebrate God, celebrate what Jesus is doing, uh, reflect on, on the, the Christmas, the birth, the miracle that is uh, Jesus coming to the earth, and then take communion together. And so that's going to be December 27th, and we'll have more information available on all of our social media platforms. Another thing I want to tell you about is the Restore His House. Uh, as I'm recording this, there are guys outside uh, of our church, and they are putting paint on the brick. And I'm telling you right now, if you haven't seen it, uh, come by, drive by, check it out. It looks outstanding. Uh, it, it's amazing what just a little bit of paint has already done for it. Uh, the, the brick is just about in its final stages. Now they're, they're painting the trim. Uh, the doors have a completely different look, and uh, the, the place just looks looks great. Uh, next will be the fascia and soffit, soffit repair and replacement. All that's going to be taking place the week after Christmas. And then we will move into the, the windows and, and uh, uh, maybe a new sign out front. And so those are the next big items that, that we're going to be taking care of. I, I want you to know that as many of you have given generously to our Restore His House phase one campaign, I want you to know that we, we're actually under budget on some things that uh, as we priced it all out. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, want to encourage you to, to, to keep giving towards that. Uh, we're, we're realists and, and we know that uh, you know, generosity is something that is, is within us and acts of generosity can take place at any time. And, but uh, with the Christmas season, with the opportunities to be generous with other people and the spirit of giving taking place, we as a church have kind of downplayed just the role of the Restore His House 
in the month of December. But trust me, when January gets here, we're going to ramp it back up and we're going to make a final push and see if we can't get the money raised uh, as we trust God. Uh, he, he's going he's gonna to bless us and, and he's going to provide as he always has in this church's history. Well, but between now and then, we have Christmas, right? And I hope that your Christmas plans are coming together. I know around my house, there is certainly a buzz of excitement as the Christmas day and the celebration of Christmas draws near. And I want to encourage you, and I do this every single year, I want to encourage you to emphasize Jesus in all things of the Christmas celebration. And I know that a favorite part of Christmas is getting together with family. Uh, I'm certainly going to be doing that. But I also know that it's easy to make the family gatherings about the family gatherings. And I know that Jesus can easily get lost in this. And so I want to encourage you as you're uh, intentional in your household to have conversations about Jesus to emphasize the giving aspect of Christmas and how God gave us the, 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 the perfect gift of all, the most important gift, and that is his son, Jesus Christ. You know, one of the ways uh, that as a church we try to emphasize Jesus is that we offer a Christmas Eve service. Uh, know that Christmas Eve is a, is a big opportunity for families to gather together to begin the festivities and celebrations. Um, and, and we're going we're gonna to offer this uh, to the entire church. Now, I do want to tell you this. Uh, at this point in time, I'm, I'm not sure if, uh, how much of this is going to be made available online. Uh, we're trying to have those conversations and, and work around that. So if you do feel comfortable, we're going to start the Christmas Eve service at 530 on the 24th. Uh, it's going to last about 45 minutes. Everyone's going to be encouraged to, to wear their mask. It is going to be uh, as, as touchless as we can possibly make it. We'll have uh, all the doors open for you so you can just come in and sit down and uh, you and your family can, can come. We can worship. You can celebrate Jesus, celebrate the birth of, of the Messiah. Take communion and you can get your Christmas celebrations kicked off that way. So, all right, so today, as we now get into our sermon, we are talking about another spiritual discipline that is found within the recordings of the Christmas story. Now, most of 2020, most of this year, our church has focused our attentions on developing spiritual disciplines that will help us grow or help us to mature, as it is often stated and when we talk about growth and we talk about maturity, we're talking about our relationship with God. That's what we want to develop. We want the faith to, in, in God to deepen. We want, it to, we want it to mature. And so there is this expectation uh, that as followers of Jesus, we will become like Jesus in nature. We, we will take on his very character. Now, that doesn't just happen, right? Uh, Richard Foster, who is a, a popular author, and he, he is a avid teacher of uh, spiritual disciplines as found in Scripture, he says that as these disciplines are developed in our life, God has the freedom to transform us. 
that this is where transformation takes place. This is where the I'm, I'm dead to my old self, my old way of living. And as these disciplines take place, as I desire to become more and more like God and I rule out whatever my life is about, these disciplines become about me. They become about who I am becoming and, and they, they lend themselves to God having the freedom within us to transform us. Look at what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. This has been one of our key verses uh, throughout the year when we talk about spiritual disciplines. It says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so Paul is discipling Timothy, and he tells him in this letter that, hey, you know all about the, the physical training. He goes, but you need to train yourself for godliness. Like th th These are intentional steps, intentional um, actions that you need to take and develop in, within your life to train yourself for godliness. And we know that physical training is of some value, but training for godliness Training to be God-like, to become like Him, holds benefit. It, it holds a, a promise, not just for this life, but for the life to come. And so today, as we talk about the next spiritual discipline, we've, we've already talked about gratitude. We've talked about simplicity. We've talked about worship. Today, as we talk about a, another spiritual discipline found within the Christmas story, we look at the, the account of Jesus coming in the world through the life of Mary and Joseph. And so do two different passages today. We're going to start with Matthew chapter 1. This talks about uh, Joseph's life, and then we'll jump over to Luke in, in just a moment. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me, pull it up on your device, Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His Mary, <laughs> sorry, his mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Now let's look at Mary's account of this and flip over to Luke, also found in chapter 1 and picking this up in verse 26. 
In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. And can you imagine this? Can you imagine living your life as, as normal as everyone else? It's just another day. You're going through the routine. And then there's this request that is made of you. You know, you just think about Joseph. If you're, if you're Joseph, now you're engaged to this young lady. Your parents have negotiated the deal with Mary's parents. The bride price has been paid. The engagement period is underway. And the day of the wedding celebration is drawing near. You know, the family in Middle Eastern culture, the family is, is so important. And, and the custom of leaving and cleaving is such a critical part of the Jewish life. And during this engagement period, always really, um, but certainly during the engagement period, there is this vow, there's this emphasis on purity and keeping yourself pure for your spouse to be. And Joseph is on the cusp of taking a bride and starting a family of his home. Like, this is the next big thing in life for Joseph. This move moves him from uh, one place of I'm being single and, and I'm my own man. It moves him to a different status and standing amongst his community. Joseph is now going to be a full man, beginning his family, his life, his legacy. Then he receives the news. Your bride... Your bride-to-be is with child. She is pregnant. Now, Joseph has options here, believe it or not. He, he, he could shame her publicly. He could divorce her. He could break this off many different ways. But being the above reputable guy that he is, he makes up his mind to divorce Mary, to break the engagement without shaming her for her in this adulterous act. And as he considers this, I'm going to break this off. I'm going to, I'm going to 
do this quietly so that I don't bring shame to Mary. As he considers this, an angel appears and convinces him otherwise. Look at verses 20 and 21 again. It says, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I, I personally can't even imagine what that conversation looks like. Then there's Mary's side of things, isn't it? She's living her life as a young Jewish lady. And when an angel named Gabriel appears into her life with a message, it's going to interrupt Mary's plans. You know, from a cultural standpoint, uh, Mary had very little to say with um, the, who her husband was going to be. She, she, didn't have a lot of, she didn't have a voice here. That, that was something that was arranged, and it was arranged by all the parents. And Mary just kind of had to go along with it. it. It's part of the culture. But still a very special event in the life of a young lady. This, this wedding ceremony, it... it it means something to them. Even though she did not have a say-so in who her husband was going to be, this is the next big step in life. This is about elevating her status amongst the community too. She, she moves from the status of, of girl under the protection of her mom and dad at home to now young lady and soon to be mom. She is expecting to wait her betrothal period and then celebrate her wedding with her husband-to-be. Like this, this is Mary's life, right? I mean, she wakes up on this day and it's, I, I'm, I'm one day closer to my wedding. I'm one day closer to this celebration. I'm one day closer of, of moving in and starting a family. But then Gabriel interrupts her plans with this message. Starting in verse 30 again, let me reread it for you. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and will be called the Son of God. Man, this couple, they're making plans to live their life in the normalcy of their culture, find themselves in a very unique setting. There's not a story like this anywhere else. God has intervened, and he wants to use this couple as part of his plan. A plan that will transform Mary and Joseph, and a plan that will have an impact on all of humanity. And so when we look at this discipline that we're talking about today, Joseph, Joseph and Mary model it. And the fact that they model this discipline, it's key to the birth story unfolding in the manner that it did. It's a discipline that Jesus himself also modeled as he grew up and he began his ministry. And we're talking about 
the spiritual discipline of submission. Now, submission is not a, a popular word. Uh, when we hear submission, we often think of weakness. Uh, we think of defeat. As a discipline, though, when you think of the spiritual discipline of submission, think of it this way. Spiritual, uh, the, the spiritual discipline of submission is the ability to lay down the burden of always needing to get our own way. The obsession to demand that things go the way we want them to go is one of the greatest bondages in human society today. The pressure, the need of I must have my way. I must be in charge. It's my plans. It's what I want. And I know what some of you are thinking as you sit here and you, <laughs> you hear this right now. You're thinking, hey, I know some people that need to start practicing the spirit of discipline because they're always wanting their way. Well, I'm not going to get onto that and call anybody out. But we certainly see the discipline of submission with Joseph and Mary, don't we? Man, they're living their life. They're making their plans. They're preparing for wedding celebrations and a life together. And God steps in with a different plan. Look at Joseph's response in Matthew 1, verses 24 again. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born and Joseph named him Jesus. I promise you there was two things that we know about Joseph being who he is and what we read and being a man. Number one is he planned on divorcing Mary. He was going to do it quietly. He was not going to shame her. And I promise you, being a man, he had the desire to have sexual relations with her. But it says right here that he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his plans and he said, okay, I'm not going to do them. I'm going to do what you, God, want me to do. Look at Mary's response in Luke, verse 38. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true and the angel left her. These two submitted to God and his desire for them. They put the how, the when, the what the marriage would look like on hold. And they did as God asked them to do. The spiritual discipline of submission is the ability to lay down the burden of always needing to get our own way. And here's the thing about practicing this discipline. Submission needs to happen between you and God and you and your neighbor. We don't just get to practice this between us and God. There's some benefit there, but the spiritual discipline of submission has to happen, right, when between us and God and us and our neighbor, right? So as we practice this, it's not just submitting to God. This is where it begins for us with God. We have to go here first before we go there. And Jesus showed us what this is. Jesus modeled submission to God before he modeled Submission to man. As we ponder this, as we think through Jesus and we think through 
the spiritual disciplines. Remember that Jesus does not ask us to do anything that he didn't do before us. He does everything that he is asking us to do. So let's look at his act of submission. Philippians 2, very popular here at LifeBridge. Philippians 2, verse 6. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and, and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus was equal with God. Right? I mean, like before the Christmas story comes on the scene, you Jesus and God, they're one and they're the same. Jesus was equal with God. Jesus was living in the glory of heaven. And he moved, removed that status. He removed that, that location of where he is, the proximity to God. He humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. So he shows us in a drastic manner what submission is. Not needing to get his what he, not needing to get his way. He showed us that. And you remember in the garden when Jesus is praying, it's the final night before he goes to the cross. Before he goes to to being judged by by those who are full of sin, to be to be judged by those that he is laying his life down for. He stood in the garden and he prayed, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. I don't want to do this, God. I wish there was a way that you could take this, this task from me. But Jesus was willing to submit to the Father and what the Father wanted. In his ministry, Jesus is modeling submission as he teaches us how to do ministry. And look what he says to his followers in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, remember, church, as we think through this, a follower or a disciple is someone who desires to be like his master or rabbi. Right? So that's what Jesus is saying here. That's who he's addressing. He goes, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Give up your own way, he says. You, you've got to give up your desires. You've got to give up your wants. Do, do, you, do you think, as you process the story of, of Mary, do you think Mary ever had the thought of, I'm not sure I want to be the one to raise God's son. I'm sure she had that thought. I, I'm, I'm sure that there were other thoughts that she had about her life and what she wanted to do that she says, nope, I'm not going to do this. You know, here's the thing. It's okay to have wants and desires. That's not a bad thing in and of itself. I'm sure in Mary's mind, she had a desire for what her life would look like. We have our own way. We, we have our plans and the things that we want to do. Submission is saying to God, I do not have to have my own way. I do not have to live my own way. I am willing to live for you. 
But as we live this out, we are also to practice this discipline with one another. It starts between us and God. God, I'm going to live how you want me to live, but we also are to do this with each other. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. Look at Ephesians 5, 21. He's talking about Christian households, and he's talking about how husbands are to treat wives and what tri how wives are to, to behave in the marriage with husbands. He talks about children, and he gets to the end of all this, and he says in verse 21, and furthermore, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The whole household is, is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Hey, let me, let me ask you a question about your relationships, your earthly relationships that you have. How much tension and conflict do you have in these relationships? How much, how much tension and conflict do you have with coworkers? How much tension and conflict do you have with classmates, with your neighbors? How much of this centers on us needing to get our own way? I know in my life, a lot of the tension, a lot of the conflict is because Michael didn't get his way or feels the need that he must always get his way. One can argue that the opposite of submission is rebellion. There's many words, when you go to the, to the thesaurus, there's many words that, uh, many antonyms that can be used for for submission, and one of those is rebellion or self-will. When I am living for self and I am seeking to always get my way, when that is a constant in my relationships, there's going to be conflict. When I feel that in the relationship I must be in charge, that I must get my way, that there's this strong desire, there's this strong need, there is going to always be conflict. And Paul tells us out of the reverence we claim to have for Jesus Christ, we should submit to one another. We should practice submission. The ability to not have to have my own way. Now, I want to encourage you though with a couple of things. There's, there's two main benefits of learning the discipline of submission. This isn't just some, oh, I've got to live this uncomfortable life where I never get my way. There is always a benefit to the spiritual disciplines. And I want to share two with you today as we wrap this up. The first benefit, as you learn to practice the discipline of submission, the first benefit is freedom. When disciplines are lived out in our life, we start to emulate Jesus, and with this comes freedom. Jesus told his uh, followers, he, he tells us, he goes, hey, when you abide in me, he goes, when you abide in me, you're going to know the truth. You're going to learn the truth, and the truth will set you free. You're going to experience freedom as, as you learn what life really is about. When you learn my character, when you take on my nature, you are going to experience freedom. And church, Jesus modeled the discipline of submission. He said, I'm going to put my, hand, my plans on hold. I don't have to live for me. I'm going to live for you, God. 
needing to always get my way, to have my plans worked out, and it's taxing. It's tiring. And, and we go to great lengths to make sure that this happens. But when I submit to God, and when I, and when I, when I submit to one another, I get to experience freedom. Hey, the second and, and, and final benefit I want to share with you this morning is that God uses people who submit to his desire. I mean, I, I want you to kind of wrap your minds around that as we, as we close this out this morning. The Bible, you know, is full of stories where people are, are living life. They're, they're, they're doing their thing. They're doing what they want and living how they want. And God steps in with a different plan. I mean, just to rattle off a few, Abraham and Moses, Daniel, Joseph and Mary here, Peter, Paul. All of these people were just living life and God steps in with a different plan. And, and, and if they're not willing to practice submission, if they're not willing to submit, it gets awfully uncomfortable because then God's got to intervene even more. The benefit that comes with being used by God is that lives are transformed. As submission is practiced, lives are transformed. You think about the people I just mentioned. Abraham, life transformed. Moses, life transformed. Daniel, his life was transformed. Joseph, Mary, their lives were transformed. And not only were their lives transformed, they all had a lasting impact on the people around them. As they submitted to God, other people's lives were impacted by what God was doing. And so I want this to be our parting thought today as you listen to this. I want you to think of the people in your world. Think of the hurting. Think of the rebellious. Think of the people that, man, they, their lives could use transformation. Think of the people who, man, maybe their life is just stuck in the rut of sin. Maybe they are stuck in just living for themselves and living for themselves only. And you're sitting here and I know what you're thinking, man, if they could only wrap their mind around this discipline of submission. But I don't want you to think about them and what they need. I want you to think about you and how much more you can live out the discipline of submission. The key to transformation, the key to their transformation, could be found in your willingness to become more submissive. You guys have a great week. Talk to you soon.